1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all over the world via web, via YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, however it is that you are accessing the Game Dev Unchained podcast, I first want to thank you. And you know this voice, it is Larry Charles. I am one half of the amazing hosting team for this semi-mediocre podcast. You know that there's another half involved in this. Who else could it be other than my best friend, Mr. BrainFM?
2: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's special episode. Please... Please welcome our guest for this week, Yuri Nedelin.
1: Yuri. Hi,
0: guys. This is Yuri.
1: How's it going, man? It's going good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. How does it feel? You're famous now, man. There's like 89 <laughs> people listening 89 to this as we speak. people.
0: <laughs> well, you know, we're growing one step at a time.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes, we are. No, to all the podcast listeners out there who support us, thank you very much. Uh, so, Yuri, it is a tradition. Whenever we bring a new guest onto the show, we give them an opportunity to just... Talk to the fans and tell them about themselves. So walk us through your resume, if you don't mind. Why is it that you're so cool as a game developer? What have you done exactly? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, um, so my game
0: development career is not. Um, I'm. I'm. Well, it's not as low as old as I am. So I started in video games kind of late. I'm probably was I was about thirty years old when I maybe twenty nine when I got my first video game job. Okay. Um. And, uh, since then I was able to work, I worked, I think in five different companies or maybe we yeah, have five different companies. So I started with genuine games in LA. Then I was working for, um, collect the collective oh, nice. and then it became shiny. Then it became, uh, Amazon studios, uh, after collective, I was working for Sony Santa Monica. And after that I was working for infinity World. and, um, in the World, I was I started working for a studio called Section Studios in uh, in downtown LA, and so that's where I'm now. So yeah, I've gone. I guess I have quite a bit of experience considering that I've only been in the industry for less than 15 years, and I've worked on a few smaller projects. I think I shipped maybe. I think there were a total of eight games that shipped. The one games that I've worked on,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and um, I have experience working with, on a project that are. Small budget, quick turnaround, nine months projects, and large big games like God of War and Call of Duty.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, Yuri, I'm not a, I don't have really an ear for accents, but that doesn't sound like an American accent to me. And you mentioned (laughs) (laughs) you got in the industry uh, later. Uh, What were you doing before? Uh, And were you where you're from, man?
0: Yeah. So uh, right. So I came to U.S. after high school. So I was born in Ukraine and uh, studied in Ukraine, went to school in Ukraine, and then came to U.S. to go to university. And my career choice at that point in time was music. And I was I was training as, to be a professional classical musician. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, after that, yeah, it's, it's kind of a curvy road. So after finishing that, I actually ended up getting a job and playing for – atlanta opera and then i was playing with atlanta symphony orchestra
1: what
2: <laughs> so
0: i was playing yeah it's not I a mean,
2: hobby man
0: <laughs> no no no. it's not a hobby no i was it was pretty serious business yeah i mean i was a really serious musician and i was playing for symphony and i was musician for about 10 professionally playing for about i would say about about 10 years mm-hmm. playing orchestras um and so what happened i don't know if i if need to if i will go into this maybe around when i was 25 I bought a computer, right? And then uh, – so I was living in Atlanta at the time. I was playing a the symphony there and opera, and I bought a computer, and I was kind of messing around with it. And I started – it was a long time ago, right? And I started – I downloaded the software that was called – so I was getting into Linux at the time. Mm-hmm. And I got the software called Blender that was a free 3D modeling software for Linux, at the time and uh, so i started messing around with that learning that and i got actually really, really good at that software i made a whole animated film by myself mm. wow Damn. and uh yeah it's I mean, it did everything it's crazy and then i felt like i i felt like i was getting, getting really good at that software and new many things i was on forums i was able to answer pretty much any question on the forum and then i thought that i should look for other softwares and see what actual professionals use and so that would happen. Then I had a girlfriend from Brazil and we went to Brazil together. And at that point I knew that Maya was the new upcoming software at the time it was Maya one. Mm-hmm. So I went to Brazil and in Brazil, they have these black markets all over the place. Where you can buy bootleg software. <laughs> so so I went to of those markets, and there was a dude selling Maya two for $1. Wow. Damn. So I just bought it and I came home and I installed it. And that, and so I started using that, <laughs> uh, while I was playing the orchestra, I was do, doing that and I was kind of starting doing animation and learning things. And then at some point, it was, I think it was 27, 20, 26, I, think it was, I guess it was 26, 27, I, was, I was decided that I want to do this professionally. And so I answered an ad for an internship for an animation studio in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these guys called me up, and there was, it was a small team, like five guys, and they, what they were doing, short, straight to straight to video cartoons for children Mm uh and they called me up i flew out there i quit my i quit all my jobs in atlanta i i drove out to colorado and i was working for free for like three months yeah and then uh at the end of the it was like i guess from september to december or just the end of december and and then i said to my to go home the company said look if you want to keep me here you can't you have to pay me something i can't do for free yeah. So then yeah. and then they hired me, they paid me twenty-five thousand dollars, twenty-five thousand dollars a year.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And they hired me as an animator. And um, so then I was working there for a couple of years, and I at that point I ended up playing actually there was a also an addition for orchestra in Colorado Springs. So I I got that job, and so for a while I was working as an animator during the day, and I was working as a musician at night in the symphony there.
1: Damn, and, uh,
2: hold hold the phone, man. Like, I don't think people realize. <laughs> so I took an Uber probably like a few months back. And uh, I was talking to the guy who was driving me. And he was saying that he's in the LA area and he's trying to get into symphonies, right? And this guy was around probably 34. Three or something, and he was telling me casually, like, "Oh yeah, the average age for someone to play in a symphony as a musician is like forty-five or something. Like it's it's hard, right? It's a hard thing to actually play professionally as a musician. And you're you're talking about skipping towns, <laughs> quitting jobs, <laughs> and just getting jobs at night, like willy nilly. Like how was was that? Uh, am I well, making things up? It, it was tough, like that good." Yeah
0: he's very well, talented i was yeah. very good yeah i was very good <laughs> i mean i was not the Obviously. thing is the thing is we, being a musician playing an orchestra is extremely demanding and i don't want i don't want to steal this game video game uh, uh podcast yeah talk about music but just briefly is to say to be an orchestra musician is essentially like we're winning olympic games uh there's a, there's a lot of complexity in the job of a musician because in symphony musician, because once you get, it's really hard to get competition is very very difficult. And there's a lot of people competing for these jobs. And generally, if you get a really good full-time job with a major symphony, you set for life and it, you will not be able to change your job. Yeah. For me, I had a job in Atlanta, but I really was, there's a story why I quit. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to get into it right now. But in Colorado Springs, for example, the orchestra was much smaller. So for somebody who, somebody who played professionally in a large orchestra, to get in a job in a small orchestra is not that not that difficult. Mm-hmm. But to get a job in a Philharmonic or New York Philharmonic or Chicago Symphony or Atlanta Symphony, it is a really, really difficult feat. Mm-hmm. And there are many people competing for those jobs. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. So generally, nobody gets a second job in a major orchestra. It would be really hard. For me, what happened with me, I just quit. And um, yeah... And uh, I job, got a job in Nokia in Colorado Springs because it was much smaller and it was not competition was not nearly as steep. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. It's it's interesting lifestyle. But it's it's. I think it would be a topic for a different conversation. <laughs> sure.
2: Sure. Well, What I want to illustrate is that you're obviously very disciplined. Like being able to go from bootleg in Brazil to becoming like <laughs> <laughs> landing your job like two years later. Uh, still like rough, but that. The self-taught artist is like the scariest type of artist to me because that drive and the willingness to just really educate yourself is a, such a hard thing to overcome. And so for you to do that and be very successful to work at huge companies, that's, that's very commendable. That's, that's a lot tougher yeah. than you're making it sound like it's like, well, Larry well, and I, I are paying I guess, school I, loans still.
0: You know, things have changed since, since I got into this industry so things have changed because, you know, when I got into this issue, it, it was so early on. It was it was so early in computer graphics that, you know, it was, it was Maya 1 or Maya 2 at the time. There were really just a few. I mean, literally, I think at the time I could just say, hey, I can spell 3D and somebody would give me a job. <laughs> right then. You know, it was really there were no schools who were teaching that. There were very few um, um, ways to get into this industry other than just learn it yourself. So for me it was I was really interested in it. I was fascinated with the whole thing. And so I was able to get into it. And um I was, really very, was I was my first job was very, very small. It was five guys, two two rooms, and it was like an apartment, two rooms. And um it was really fun, but the entry was pretty low. The salary was very low, you know, and those guys, guys customers like that always have a hard time finding people, particularly back then. Um yeah, I, I think. I think today is much more difficult to be self taught because there now there are lots of schools for teaching that and a lot of uh, expectations for the you know, for new hires. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah. It's
2: yeah. fun. <laughs> it worked out. It worked out, obviously. Uh yeah. s- so, you well, so what happened after the so the internship became a, f- a full time job? You were still being a musician at, at night, right?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting thing happened, Ben. So, we were working on this straight to video cartoon, and we were doing um three shows. Our contract was for three shows, and it was a two year thing. Um, and then my orchestra was playing, it was great for a while. I really felt great. Then, what happened? So, we finished our contract, and my boss somehow decided that he it was too stressful to run a company. Mm -hmm. And instead of hiring my people to, like, make his life easier, he decided just to shut down. Oh, I've heard that before recently. He he was totally just spent. and uh, Yeah, and so he shut down the company, and literally a month later, orchestra filed for bankruptcy. Wow. Oh,
2: man. That's a bad month.
0: (laughs) So it happened, like, March and then April. And so that what happened, I ended up having these two unemployment paychecks from state of Colorado. So I kind of sc- lived in Colorado for... So I took a summer off, lived there until about September, October. I didn't do anything, just kind of hung out, working on my reel. And after that, I ended up moving to Chicago to join a friend of mine there and I got a job in Chicago working in a post production house as an effects artist. So at the time uh, it's probably still today but Chicago was a pretty big center for advertisement industry. Mm-hmm. So there's, there were a lot of post houses there that did editing and post work for ads and for short like uh, for long uh long uh, format video TV. So for like Discovery Channel and um uh, History Channel, things like that. That would so a company I was working for called Swall Pictures, and uh, it was it's quite a large editing agency, and a, a, editing co- edit, edit it was like an editing company post house,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and a few effects artists there. So I was there for about, about a year, and quality was super low, mm-hmm. and I really hated being there. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a buddy of mine in, from my job in Colorado, who moved to LA saying that I'm going to just quit the whole thing and go to medical school or something, do something else because it's yeah. just all crazy. I was just very unhappy. Uh-huh. And he said, look, you're very talented. Don't quit. Come to LA and you're going to find people and talent and salaries that you deserve here mm-hmm. in LA because that's where a real thing is happening. Mm-hmm. Come to LA. So this dude, his name is Brian Weavers and he's uh, a close friend of mine. And he was working for a studio called Genuine Games, mm-hmm. right? And those guys at the time were working on the game they work in a Fight Club game.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So uh, I was like, all right, that's cool. So then I had my company in, in Chicago send me to LA for to SIGGRAPH. Mm-hmm. So when I was here in LA f- for SIGGRAPH, my buddy arranged me an interview for me with the heads of the company mm-hmm. of Genuine Games. And they talked to me and they basically just hired me right there. Wow. <laughs> And, you got uh, your
2: company to pay for your new job basically I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, that's so slick.
0: so then that was it so i came back to chicago i said here we go that's what they're offering me and uh and the, the guy the guys in chicago said there's no way we can match this so i was happy to leave and uh so that was my first game job and yeah and it's, it was it's history since it's good Right, so thing. So, what's interesting thing was when I was coming to LA, my goal was to get, get into LA and do whatever I can work in games for a little bit. And basically make my way into F- visual effects in, in film, because the goal, the goal, the, the dream was to work in film visual effects.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and I thought I'll come to LA and I work here for six months. with doing video games and get, you know, get my feet into the, um, into the, uh, into the visual effects world. And after I Got into games and spent six months working in games. I realized that I much rather stay in games. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. really, really cool. Far better than anything I could imagine in film. And after knowing, meeting some people in film, I realized that gaming industry is far better fit for me. So um, I stayed in
1: games mm-hmm. since then. Uh, so you never, you never made the transition ever to even test it.
0: No, I, you know, I, I knew exactly. I, knew, I. I had a really good idea what it was after coming to LA and meeting people and talking to people and, and realizing what the difference is. And the main difference between games and film at the time, and I'm sure it is the same, but at the time, the difference was that in film, the quality is much higher, but the way to get that the quality was not elegant. That's
2: mm-hmm. very messy.
0: And in, in very, yeah. In, in film, you could be very, very messy. You could just Pile all together. You have to worry about big picture. You can just worry specific. You can only worry about the shot you're working on right now. You can get to the to the goal you're going with, you know, without a lot of elegance and without uh, without without a lot of technical prowess. Oh, and okay. uh, for me, I felt like in games we have a lot bigger restrictions, like far greater restrictions, and we uh, a lot, you know, far more limit limited by what we can do. And yet we're still trying to reach that goal of really high quality. And I thought that these limitations and this uh, would be much more interesting to um, overcome. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, and so because at, the time, at that point in time, I was, I was, becoming, I was already becoming very technical mm-hmm. in my work. Uh, and I thought that that would be much, much more challenging and interesting and much more rewarding to work in games rather than film. Because from, from that perspective.
2: Yeah. I mean, what's My funny opinion. now, yeah, is that the both the industries are kind of converging. Like, film is taking a look over at our VR stuff and real-time graphics, and they're learning to seeing the benefit of having a clean workflow, uh, yeah. obviously, just to make it run and look good at the same time. So... Yeah, I hear that a lot. Like a lot of people usually chase film for for the graphical, you know, fidelity and prowess and everything. But eventually, um, because of that messiness or or just a whole different industry, they have more fun in games.
0: Yeah, for me, I felt like it's uh, for me. I felt like it's mu- it's much more exciting to be. Uh, d- be able to achieve call qual- visual quality of film within the game using far fewer tools and far fewer assets and doing it in much more elegant and, uh, you know, more exciting way. So that, it, it, you know, it's a, it's like using a fine tool to create something, a small, beautiful piece of art than just using a huge sledgehammer hammer to, you know, yeah. that's kind of the way that's the way I felt about film versus games. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, you know, to the, to some degree it's still this way You know, it's still, you know When you think about big film studios And big VFX studios, you know, these people They can take, you know, days to render a frame uh-huh. While for us, you know, we have to render 30 of them in a second And so, um And visually we're trying to reach the same same level Of course, you know, we'll never be able to look Games don't look as good as film But, well, not in foreseeable future But, um It's, you know, we we're making such great advances and it's really exciting for me personally to see the visual progress of video games and how you know how well the systems can sit how well good pipelines and good engines and good teams can work together to create create visual visuals of that high quality that that match something some of the film.
2: Well speaking of that like you're talking about 15 years of being in the game industry. You've been through some game cycles. Like, you being a technical artist, obviously, you chose the game path because the game industry is a little bit more technical in some aspect, at least for graphical fidelity stuff. But, like, what has been the most exciting generation uh, evolved?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, for me personally, obviously, it's what's interesting about games. I think, at least thus far, every time new generation comes out, people are just so hyped. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's so it's so exciting. Every time new console comes out, it's just so exciting, and you really want to work on the next new console. Uh, for me, biggest you know the biggest change was when I was going from PS2 to PS3. That's that's when I, I was still working. I was working at a collective on a PS2 game, and a friend of mine called me from Santa Monica. and he said, "Hey, I'm working on PS3 title." At that time, PS3 hasn't come out yet, and it was just very exciting to be part of that transition. I think being on the part of that transition is always very exciting, particularly if you try to be at the edge of technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that there was when people went from PS1 to PS2, there was a lot of excitement. For, for you know, for me, PS, PS2 to PS3 was very exciting because I was you know on the cutting edge, and I was making game was God, God of War that was really pushing the limits of that system, uh, and then. I think that anytime there's a change from console to console, it's very exciting. And I'm looking forward to see what's going to happen next. It seems like going forward, quality is always so high. It seems like next generation is not going to be that exciting, but something that my, just my experience tells me that next generation will provide something that nobody had thought of before, just like PS2 to PS3 and PS2 to PS4. That is going to be very exciting from the next generation as well uh, with VR. Maybe I don't know. So from, if you. My personal experience, most exciting, was going from PS2 to PS3, because that's when I was really on top of my game, and I was doing something that's very groundbreaking. There was seemed to be the difference between quality between PS2 and PS3 it was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was working I was working on PS4, PC to PS4, my first title on PS4 was Call of Duty, and um, since we had to ship the game still for PS3 generation,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we didn't really push the graphics as much, and at the time. During during that development for Call of Duty Ghost, graphic de- pushing graphics was not a huge priority. Mm-hmm. When with God of War, going from God of War two to God of War three, pushing graphics was a huge priority for Sony. It was number one, most important thing for Sony. Uh, so for me personally, the experience was really, really, really fun. Um, yeah. The interesting thing to say is that it's just a little insight about the video game development. So with Call of Duty, the it seemed, and it's, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, the goal of the game is to make money from the sales of the game. Okay. So the idea with that game was mostly, most, most important thing was to sell as many copies as you can, make as good a big game as possible. With God of War 3, it seemed the goal was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Sony, you know, God of War only sold maybe 5 million copies, so it's not, nothing compared to 25 million copies of Call of Duty. And But for Sony, I think, most valuable Thing about God of War Three was not how many copies the game sells, but how awesome it looks and how much how it's basically making their hardware look very very good. I was so going to say Other people yes. buy hardware, so that yeah, the idea with God of War was to to basically create a master visual masterpiece that really shows off the hardware to its maximum p- potential, and that was the goal. So. Mm-hmm. The idea was that we could take as as much time as we need, as much money as we need. And the goal was to make it look as best as possible. And of course, being part of that and being part of that visual team was really, really exciting. A lot of freedom.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, man, that I think Sony, obviously they have their hand in two different pots, right? Like, yes, they want to make sure that the game is a success, but Sony also owns PlayStation, the brand, you know what I mean? So like, making sure that you have a flagship product on your console that's not only going to impress fans, but entice developers is like, that's, that's just something they have to do. They have to Focus on that, you know. So I, I don't blame them for actually taking that approach just on one game, because they still have a lot of in-house studios that are pushing exclusives that are doing really well and getting the acclaim. You have Naughty Dog, you know, like Naughty Dog is definitely making sure that Sony is a talked-about piece of hardware with Last of Us, with Uncharted, and you know whatever they're working on now with Amy heading it or with the, the Star Wars stuff. Or sorry, uh, yeah, you're right. We're gonna. They're so, doing Star Wars, right?
2: Yeah, they're doing Star Wars. Yeah,
1: that's what I thought. That's
2: what I thought. Yeah, Visceral Games. Yeah. Like, what what was it like? Uh, I'm thinking back. I don't think I've ever worked for a first party studio before. Like, what was that like? Well, do you guys get special treatments? Do you guys get special Sony Playstations that just fall from the roof <laughs> every Christmas? Well, no, it, Fell off a truck
0: in terms then. of, in terms yeah, of yeah, yeah. like. <laughs> well, honestly, in terms of swag. And like free stuff, yeah. and Sony was good. You know, we got backpacks, whatever. But I mean, nothing is good at, like the golden days of Call of Duty. You know, like Modern Warfare three oh, yeah. and when I, the, the Ghost. When I, well while, before Ghost, while I was on the Ghost, Call of Duty Ghost. I mean, that was that. Those guys really had all. I mean, that's where Microsoft would just basically send a console for every member of the team just for fun. Yeah. Just like here you go, guys. Um, but at Sony. That was not, it was not. Well, we had, we had, we had t shirts and stuff, but we didn't have, we had definitely had more swag and more free stuff uh, at Call of Duty. It's at Infinity War at the time. Uh-huh. But what's interesting about Sony, the working for First Party and working for Santa Monica at the time was focus. You know, okay. the idea was that we can focus on the single hardware, on a single SKU on the with the goal of making it look as good as possible, make it as awesome as possible. Um, that's just be able to focus on on the product and be able to just create great to build a great team and great to have great funding and have opportunity to work on something that is not goal is not to make a lot of money from that product, but make it really, really beautiful and really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. That's just a rare opportunity. I think, um, it, it just, because it was it was not tied to money it was not tied to, it was not tied to sales of the you know it was just the goal was to make it something really really good to show off the hardware, uh to basically show off the S- Sony of, and um, I think that the experience is really valid. Like I mean, it, there's no way you can get it anywhere else. There's no way you can get this experience working for a third part third-party developer that you know they're. They need to make money with the game and they, they have to cut corners on the visuals. They have to cut corners for perfor- perfor- performance, for other things. Um, that was not happening at Sony Santa Monica. And Sony Santa Monica, basically any crazy, wild, awesome idea team and directors, directors could come up with, we were doing and we were going for it. And that's really nice. It's, it's pretty rare. So that's a big difference.
1: So I need to jump in and self-edit my last comment. Uh, Amy Hedding left sony santa monica and she's working on star wars now i think that's why it was she left naughty
2: dog naughty dog
1: (laughs) yeah sorry she left naughty dog to go work on star wars that's why i was on the tip of my tongue as i was talking about naughty dog yeah yeah. uh so going back to yuri now so i can bring this all together you've worked on two big franchises and as a fanboy i gotta know which one as a developer and as an artist self-taught did you feel like you learned the most but then which one do you feel like you had the most impact if those are different questions then answer them differently, but did you feel like one you were able to learn more from being on that project? And then which one of the two, do you feel like you had more impact on God of war or call of duty?
0: In both. I mean, to
1: be frank, both of those projects, I learned
0: really, I would, I was about, I was about five years on on, on God of war and three and a half years on call of duty. So and God of War, I worked on two. I worked on two games. Well, I guess I worked on two games in Duty as well. I would say that I learned. If I had to really compare, I would probably learn more working for God of War. But Call of Duty was also a great learning experience, and uh, not only. So, God of War, my experience was my my. What I've learned mostly was technical and my professional experience as, as my cra- experience of my craft, developing my craft uh, with on Call of Duty. It was a little bit different. I, I, it was more about learning about business of the mm-hmm. game development, learning about um, pre- relationships within a team. There was a lot of growing I had to do because when I came from Sony Santa Monica, so in Santa Monica, I was, I had a great team there and we all, we all we were, we were all great friends and we had a really good relationship. And, um, I never really had to worry too much or work too much on my social skills or on my team building skills. And yeah. came, when I came to an Infinity Ward, I sort of assumed that I'm going to step in in exactly the same environment I, I enjoyed the Sony Santa Monica. But socially, it was very different in vibe. And so it took me a year, a couple of years, to kind of realize that I need to I need to learn about you know being a part of the team that's not all my friends and work with oh. people that I might disagree with more often. So that was really good in that way. And also, what's interesting about Sony Santa Monica was that I could work on small projects to make them really, really good for long periods of time. or on Call of Duty, it, the, the amount of time we had was much, my less was it was a two-year two project, and the volume of assets, the volume of work had to be done was far greater mm-hmm. uh, than uh, on God of War. So I had to learn how to step away from being a perfectionist that science and monica allowed me to be and become more uh, efficient to deliver more things faster. Um, so it was just uh, definitely very valuable. Both experiences are very valuable. Those two projects were very different. One was huge amounts of assets, but not very exciting, you know, thousands of humanoid assets, humans and human heads and human legs and human arms and human gloves, thousands of assets, And they're all kind of the same, not very exciting, but a big pipeline and two years of production versus three years of manually crafting every single creature, making it as best as possible and spending time, you know, just worrying about every single deformation, every single element, spending a lot of time on everything. So it's very different experiences. I would say that both are very valuable. And today, looking back, I feel like I'm very well prepared to take on next projects so because Simply because I have this really wide range of experience from those, two, from those two games.
2: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned God of War was how long of a dev cycle? Five years?
0: Well, so God of War... I was not God of War for five years, but the God of War 3 was in development for three years on a full-team development. So the way they were doing this... God of, the way, God of War was done with two years of pre-production and three years of development. When I joined them, I joined them with development. Full-team development started. And after shipping God of War 3... I was on God of War Ascension for, for two years before I left to join Confinity Award.
2: I see. Damn. <laughs> well, I mean, you, my average time on a game has been around three years. I don't think I, I worked on in, a, a single game more than three years on any of my games. I've heard st- stories of how stale it can get. <laughs> Depending, I guess, on the project, but like, whenever I hear Blizzard working on like an eight-year game or a ten-year game, I cringe because even though it, it, it will become a success, right? Like anything at Blizzard or whatever. Just me going in, well, me l- looking at the dev cycle. I, it's not like you're creating new stuff. I see a lot of throwaway work, right? When you're talking about a game that exceeds three years, you're talking about things that you've tried and thrown away more than. Anything that that actually right. made it. So how was that process? You being a technical artist, I mean, you must have tried a lot of stuff, or is it just making it easier for everyone else?
0: You know, what's, what's interesting thing about God of War? I mean, okay, so Call of Duty and God of War are very different products, right? So Call of Duty, two years, and it was basically when I got when I got there, the idea was we were using we reuse as much as possible, we get it out of the doors as fast as possible, yeah. we don't waste time. Yeah. We don't screw around with polishing every single bit. On God of War, the attitude was completely opposite of that. <laughs> On God of War, the attitude was basically every single tiny bit has to be the best thing ever happened to game development. Mm-hmm. And what else is interesting because God of War was game number three. After game number two, after God of War two, technical art team realized that we cannot keep up with directors changing their minds at the very last second <laughs> if we don't have strong enough pipeline yeah so the idea was how so the, the, the you know the idea was let's not deny creatives the ability to do what they need to do if they need to make a change as much as possible provide them with support and tools so the only way we can support these guys the only way we can say okay if you know if a director comes in a monthly for office says, you know what, this guy, I want this guy to have two heads instead of three heads or like two heads instead of one head. Mm-hmm. We should be able to build the pipe in such a way where we can change characters and change things as fast as possible. So at the end of world war two, beginning of, God of war three, when I joined, we decided to build this pipeline where um, we can really, really fast, quickly iterate on on character assets with, mm-hmm. for, for rigging anime and animation, right? And so the idea was to build systems that allow us to change things very, very fast when on, when ca- when directors, you know, felt like they want to change things. So, yeah, so we did a lot of that. And it, first couple of games on God of War, they did a lot of, they, people go back and they would crunch a lot and they would um, change things manually. And for God of War 3, we just started building pipeline with understanding that things will change at the last moment. We need to be just prepared with tools to accommodate that. So that's what, not, that's what we did. Uh, so that's, uh, it, it's important to think that it's important to figure out what, um, you will need in development. And then see if, if, see if there's a way with tools to provide support for that. Uh, so, so that's what we did. Even though with, God of War was God of War was interesting because even though a lot of things were thrown away it always felt like we doing something really great and so mm-hmm. it never felt stale however mm-hmm. uh after God of War 3 when God of War 4 happened which was Ascension that game definitely started feeling stale right off the bat mm-hmm. that was a fourth game in this series and it was a PS3 also and it felt like it didn't really have its own identity and it did not really go did not really challenge anyone, didn't challenge didn't have any challenging new ideas. It was just more of the same. And morale was start changing. And a couple of years into it, I realized that it was just not did not have the did not have the same um excitement and the same, you know, same potential. So that's when I left. And of course, essentially when the extension did ship a year later. It was not a successful game. Yeah, for these reasons. Right. So I think that eventually franchises do get stale. Uh, luckily, for God of War three, it was a brand new. It was a new um, system. New new system. It was a new director. It was very new look, and it was really a strong team doing new kind of a new thing and exciting thing edge like on the edge of technology. Uh, so that kept us going through the third one, but the fourth one really was could, couldn't couldn't continue, right? So that's why I got a word, took a big break. Yeah. Uh, and I guess I guess the rumors are that they're working on the next one. We'll see how that looks, but definitely, I think I think you're right. I think eventually games do run out of its te- of steam, and the developers do need to have do need do need a change of pace. Um, so.
2: Yeah, I mean it's. You know, well. I, I still like God of War 3 out of all of it so far. Um, and it just makes sense, right? The third act of the story, there was a story mm-hmm. to tell along with the graphical update and all the technical stuff that you guys wanted to achieve. So that game needed to be made. So I made a comment before, like I mentioned, you know, God of War 4 was the first year of my gaming history where it broke the trilogy mode and it did it the same year gears of war 4 came out so i think that attributed to the uh, the worn outness of gamers and maybe attributed to how it didn't do well but i yeah i've always wondered internally like it felt like more of a marketing push for this studio than an actual yeah. story to tell in this universe. Like Kratos is still angry. Uh, right. like I, I don't even know what the fourth story is. The fourth story is a prequel, right? Yeah, it's supposed it's a prequel. Yeah, it's
0: it's it's, weird. it's unclear. It's it was it was know, It was kind of it was one of the situations where Sony wanted to make they want to cash in yeah. On, on God of War title yeah. and it was it was tricky. It was left it was it was I'm sure for designers it was really hard because they couldn't really push it too much beyond what classic God of War was. Yeah. Um, it happens you know, it happens a lot with games. Call of Duty is a great example of that yeah. where um you know it's really hard for teams to make changes to a successful title. Yeah. Because it's, it's successful. So, you know, a publisher wants to make money and they really have they would they have they really wait for game to tank before they allow creatives to make big changes. Right. It's understandable. It just sucks to be a developer. You know, if you if you love your company, you love your team, you don't want to quit, you don't want to go anywhere else. Yeah. You're happy with your life. Yeah. You like it. It sucks that you have to deal with this. You have to wait. You know, I have friends at San Monica now who's been there through the big you know the big dip they had when they had the big layoffs and, and a couple of games that one game in council ascension was not very good. Mm. Or I mean, it was not very well received. So these guys lived through all these down and now they make a new game and the team is really excited and they think it's going to be really great. But to live through those few years of, you know, downturn is really, it's not fun.
2: Where's Um, you out? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's one of the toughest things. Like you might be situated, you might like everything else, but if you're showing up to work and you're contributing eight hours towards a project that you don't really believe in, like... Some people have a lot of tolerance with that, where their life outside of work is so great, where they don't mind. I guess I haven't reached that level yet i I have to care about the project somewhat
0: in my experience in my experience the worst the the worse the project going, the more people work.
2: yeah so
0: like you know if we, when things are not, when things are going smooth and it's great, it's great. But when things go south and people feel like their the game is not successful, project't going very well, that's when management starts to get stressed out, and uh your leads are all stressed out, and everybody worries and people start to do more instead of instead of fixing problems, people will usually start to do more of the same
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, double down on bad ideas essentially it seems like what's happening a lot mm-hmm. and then inevitably with, with the you know the the more difficult the project is the more people crunch, the more people work hard.
2: Yeah.
0: So it's kind of weird, you know, the way it seems to be going. Um, I guess there are a few exceptions. Some people, some just studios just work a lot, no matter if they're successful or not. Yeah. But in my experience, it's the, the the more difficult things are going, the more people forced to crunch or work over, over time because um, the ideas they're making are not good and they want to change things and they fall behind the schedule. Yeah. So. It's always better to be to do it's always better to be on a really good project.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean it helps. Right. So what you've done, here, like you've been in the industry for fifteen years and Larry and I consider those guys like super super senior, super scion
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. survivors. You put in the, you put in your time, man, you and and then your stripes. Yeah.
2: So, what I've always been interested in. So, I, I recently became a lead, right? So, I'm still new to this. I've always still been, on, I've always been on the other glass of the executives when the studio has poor morale or when the studio is dealing with problems that no one talks about, but it's like publicly being discussed on those walks around the block. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, like what if you can can you kind of illustrate wh- like what goes on behind closed doors when these terrible things are happening to the studio that everyone knows about but like not being addressed in the public meetings or, or, or stuff like that like they obviously know what's going on they obviously know that we know but then is it mostly like all right how do we delay them from talking it uh, about it or is it more like let's address this issue right now, or is like fuck them, let's just finish the game? <laughs> like, what kind of attitude generally are the upper guys doing Man. with this type of stuff?
0: I mean, for me, frankly, you know, for me, <laughs> I guess I, I guess I caught a little bit, of and I caught, I caught some of the negative. When I was at Sony Santa Monica, and I was there for I was lead there for a short period of time, and it was like a happy time. Uh-huh. And so there was not a lot of bad stuff happening. So it was kind of not at the very, but they, but they, right before I left, it was, you know, it was, it, things were, there definitely, were definitely, definitely some troublesome things going on. And the uh, leads would get together and we try to discuss about morale. But what's interesting about that studio, the, the studio was coming off really great run in terms of morale and quality and team. So, they were just trying to get back sort of get back to that place. But I feel like most of the time in my experience leads and executives, of course, when everybody knows when things aren't going well, it's they don't have, they don't have much more of inside than the rest of us.
1: Mm.
0: It seems like they just, there's often they struggle with making these fixes. And that's, I think if the fixing of, uh, it seems to me that executives wants to make it good as much as guys on the floor want to make it good. Yeah. And the reason things don't get any better usually or get better very slowly is because no one really knows how to do it. Yeah. And each situation is very different. Um, the only difference for me personally between being just a guy on the floor and being in, involved in leadership is that at least... I get the sense of trouble earlier than everybody
2: else. (laughs) You have your life's life jacket earlier. And, you know,
0: exactly. And, and, and I feel like I have a little bit more control. I have a little bit more control over my destiny. Yeah. You know, no, that's that's definitely definitely
1: true. Yeah. Yeah. So then if let's say, uh, I'm the junior who's coming into the big AAA studio, working on these projects, what would be, you know, a big piece of advice that you would have for them as far as, you know, Sensing the disturbance in the force, <laughs> or is that even well, I mean, it's, from the bottom? You
0: know, I don't think it's you know I don't think it's that hard. So I think sensing sensing disturbance in the force is the way you put it. It's not very hard. It's I mean the writing is on the wall. I mean it's clear. You know, in retro in, in hindsight, any of us who've been in a situation look back and go, "Oh my god, that was absolutely clear. This thing is not going in the right direction." Yeah. Um, it's really about trusting your gut, but you know, there's, there's something to be said. About dealing with troubled situation is you can either choose to quit and look for another job, or you can choose to you know make a commitment and stick to it. So there's benefit to both, and I think it depends on personality. You know, some people are just very averse to losing a job, and uh, they just don't want to. Like I'm one of those people. I I'm one of those people that <laughs> I've never been laid off. Uh-huh. Well, actually, it's not exactly it's entirely true, but uh-huh. for for purposes of this argument, <laughs> I've never been laid off, and I've out of out of you know out of five companies I worked for. So I worked for st- company company in um of six companies I worked for a company in Colorado, they shut down. Uh-huh. Company in Col- Chicago, they are sh- gone. My first game, genuine games is gone. Collective is gone. <laughs> right, so like. All those companies are gone, and guess what? I was never laid off. I was either I left, well, I guess my very first company, I was laid off because they just shut down while I was there. My very first company. Ever since then, I was leaving companies bef- bef- before they were shutting down because it was clear. Okay, so like, I think you have to be prepared. Working for creative industry like ours, you know, we are, things change very often. Companies... St- some big companies like Sony Santa Monica, um, a, some companies, maybe E A L E L A, ELA, uh, Infinity Ward, those companies might stick around for more than you know two projects. Okay. But a lot of companies, they try to do the best and they just shut down. You know, they just, they just, they just can't they just can't do it. It's really, really hard to stay you know stay in business. Mm-hmm. So I think if you want to be in this business, you'd be prepared that the company might shut down. Uh, and you need to be prepared with your whatever. If you're an artist, with your demo reel. If you're a programmer, with your technical skills, to prepare to you know look for another job, or have a have a good relationship with people outside of your jobs. So or if you do lose a job, you have a lot of connections and contacts. I would say that in this industry, contacts and personal relationship is very valuable because the industry is small. Uh, after my very first job in the animation studio in Colorado. My every single job since then I've gotten because my friends invited me to go work for them. So, you know, don't be an ass and, um, keep your skills up. And I would not worry too much about seeing problems coming up because they come up, they can be clear or they can come out of nowhere. Uh, it happens, you know, we just will, you'll you just, will never know you keep, one day you come to work and the door will be locked. And that happened, you know, it happened to friends of mine.
1: Yeah. Be wary the day that you see the U-Haul boxes just stacked up in the conference room.
0: Right. And it's not, that's the thing. it's not, it's not, it's not about you at the end of the day, I, the way of particularly in LA, you know, I feel like I work in the video game industry in LA, but it almost feels like I work in a video game on a video game developer team. That is LA video game development team. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I work with all the different people throughout my career and, I feel like I'm working with them again and we kind of together making games. Yeah. And we just, we just happen to be on different projects at different points in time. But um, even today, you know, I have friends asking me to join them and uh, you know, they're just, they're just waiting to see what's going to happen with my current career, my ho- my current position. And I'm waiting to see what the other people are doing. I mean, literally I just emailed you guys tonight asking them if, if they can want to come join us. While some other guys emailing me asking me to go join them mm-hmm. and it's all about friends so i'm not too, i would say don't be too concerned about problems within the studio because it might happen as a as a junior person you will never know you might have a on the wall, but you know you might just you might not, you might never know so you just be prepared that it might happen and it's fine it's not a big deal if you're good there's lots of work
2: yeah I feel like every developer needs to have like a like a, like a rating percentage of how many studios that they worked for before closed down. And so like uh, you were mentioning yours, like I'm thinking back on mine. like, I think two out of five, two out of six companies, two out of five companies closed since I've worked there. Right. That's, that's crazy.
0: Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it's like the guy's. So what's interesting is this, you know, my very first company, Jayern Games, is shut down. I, I left literally six months later. they shut down.
2: Yeah,
0: I've worked with guys from those from the studio several times since then, and I have a bunch of friends. Yeah, it, like six months ago, a dude called me up. He is a director at the very, like, a very, very important studio in LA.
2: Yeah,
0: he goes, dude come work with me. I need somebody like you with your expertise, with your experience. Like you need somebody to come here and help me to run this thing. Yeah. Come. Yeah. And I worked with him over 10 years ago in this small studio They went out of business.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the idea is that these are good guys everywhere. If yeah. team is small and it's failing and made it, somehow they made bad decisions along the way and made bad games, it does not mean that guys on the team are not good it means that it was just one of those situations where it didn't work out but we all learned through it and maintaining maintaining relationships and maintaining your skills is far more valuable than worrying about what's going to happen with the job you have right now it's not a that is not a long term outlook
2: yeah like one of my favorite oh sorry one of my favorite (laughs) questions (laughs) that I usually get in my yearly reviews is uh, this is one of the reasons why I don't like producers. And if you're a good producer, like I said, disclaimer, I like you. It's just, I I've known some bad producers out there, but usually in these meetings, they would ask me like, Oh, so what's your five year plan? Right. Pretty much. is like, what are, when are you going to quit? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. But I always take it with like, dude, what's your five year plan? Is the company's going to be around <laughs> based on all <laughs> these bad things that's happening right now? Like, why don't you tell me, like, I, I can leave, but you're kind of stuck here because you're the company, man. So I'm. Um, it's just one of those things, like, like you said, if you're realistic about the game industry, right? Like anyone that you talk to, if you just look back seriously on their previous companies and how many of those are closed down... You can pretty much guess your your career if you're a junior. Like your trajectory of companies that you will work for will probably eventually close down. Like, you, I can't think of many companies that if I start now, I'll be able to retire at 65. Like, how many companies are 20 years plus right, yeah. in this industry? That's crazy. If I mean, that, not, I mean, not, even, not, not even Google, you know, not even Google. Like, it's <laughs> Google doesn't even know. No,
0: so that's. <laughs> You know if you talk, you think about these companies like these some of the biggest companies we deal with right now they're like ten years old. so what can I say you know it's not the years of our parents when you can think, okay, I work for General Electric and i you know it's been around for 100 years I'll be there for another 100 years. It's just the world is fast our industry is at the end of the day we're making it at entertainment and it's it's fast moving it's fast moving industry it's changing all the time yeah. and people want to be creative so the fact that it changes all the time it's actually really great. If you want to be creative, I think it's it's a really great benefit because young guys come to companies, they learn, and then they want to take the talent further, and they don't want to be stuck to pigeonhole situations in you know in at EA or Activision or somebody. You know, Infinity Ward right now, as far as I understand, is over three hundred people team. Look, like right now when I when I joined Infinity Ward it was seventy five guys. Now it's like, I think when they when they were shipping uh like the last game. There were 350 people in the studio, in the office, like, in, like at Woodland, in Woodland Hills location. Well, what, well, I mean, what can you expect about, about your personal growth? And if you have your personal, your, your personal ideas, your personal aspirations, what can you do with that if you have so, such a huge company, you know, to, to grow through? It would be really difficult. I mean, you have to be extremely, extremely lucky and talented to be able to climb through that ladder. But then you can join a studio of 10 guys and you can, you know, pursue your dream. I think that's the beauty of the industry, and uh, I think that's why I really, really, I'm glad it's this way. Yeah, but yes, security aside,
2: it's really great. (laughs) It's just the guy who never been laid off. (laughs) You're like, I'm glad. I don't know what you guys complain about. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, no, I know what you mean. I mean, there's so much dynamic and flexibility within our industry. Like, if you're good and you're focused. You'll be on your feet all the time. I mean, that's, I think that's pretty true. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Yuri, what, what's one of the exciting things that you look forward to still as a game developer?
0: Uh, well, honestly, in terms of, uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that one day I can truly, well, <laughs> oh man nothing I could, Larry I hope that one day I, I can really, really take advantage of all of my experience as a developer mm-hmm. and have have more control of a project in a way that actually is going to be easy and successful at the same time
2: easy and okay. successful that is a great goal <laughs> easy and successful at the same time because mm. it's been hard yeah so. and
0: yeah, and you the want- thing is sometimes you you see like I sometimes I see myself and my friends making a mistake and I'm just like I just see this is a mistake and we walk uh, it's right in front of me and we're walking right into it it's I know it's bad and we just walk and right into it it's, it's gonna be bad we'm gonna step on something i c- I can see it. it's not a surprise and so hopefully one day I'll not gonna do that but I mean it's for me it's really hard to say what I'm looking forward because truthfully I'm like, the last 10 years of my career has been as exciting as I can imagine. So, like, working on God of War was unbelievable because it was the most exciting game at the time. And I was able to join the team. And, of course, Call of Duty is awesome because, I mean, that's, it's Call of Duty. It's, you know, 27 million people bought that game. Yeah. And, I mean, that's pretty incredible. Of course, now I work for a small team. And I have a lot more to say. At least I think I do, and um, <laughs> we let you say it, but uh, <laughs> we're yeah, not listening. It seems like I, I say, I say stuff, but no one listens really. But it's okay, no, and um, impact, and you know, so it's a lot of new challenges right now. So it's it's been really exciting. I feel like as long as it can go the same, it continues to be like this, where it's new and exciting. I like can be part of great projects. I continue to work with great people. That's another thing about the industry is that you get to work you really get to work with creative people. And that's, you know, that's rare in, because most industries, most jobs don't offer you opportunity to ha- have lunch with somebody who is a great painter or somebody who thinks about sound and music all day long and somebody who thinks about concept art, somebody who thinks, thinks about storytelling all day long. You know, here you get to have chance to hang out, have coffee with somebody who is a very creative person. And um, it's enriching, it's wonderful. And I really don't see how things get much better in terms of my job nice. it's just good as it gets really
1: if there was one project or one franchise out there that you didn't get to work on yet uh which one would you go and work on is is that is, does it exist even and for what reason yeah
0: Oh, yeah. man. Okay. So, all right. So, You're if so
1: you <laughs> want
0: to work on a, if we would love to work on a, on a, on a franchise with it, if I want to be working with a team, it would be, um, it would be,
1: uh, hold on. Uh oh. All right. So, Yuri has put down the microphone. He is <laughs> running across the room to grab something. Oh, he's got a game.
0: Yeah. It would be, um, you be guys who made this.
2: Oh, okay. you gotta learn some Japanese, then.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the from, definitely from software would be yeah. from software. Those guys. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I never played those games before until Bloodborne came out yeah. about a year ago. And I have to say that I mean, I have never played a game as much. It's a single player. It's a single player campaign that I spent over 250 hours.
2: 250 <laughs> hours. Yeah. So for the listeners out there, he held up Dark Souls three. If you don't know where uh, from from software is, they're in Japan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean it would be really difficult for me to work there. You know, the the Japanese, from what I understand, don't like. You know, it would be hard. But that would be. I mean, that's 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 really right now the game that I team that they do things in the way that I feel like Bloodborne. It's like a masterclass of video game development.
2: Why why do you feel that way? Is it because well graphically it looks cool, gameplay what? it just everything fits well, as a game?
0: Yeah, well okay. So the, I mean design is amazing, obviously. But like, for me as a developer, you know, I look at the development choices that I make. So for example, like one thing is so when I started playing when I started playing Blockborn, I was still working on Call of Duty, okay? Mm-hmm. And at the time we had a guy who Came from Central and his full-time job was fixing blend shapes for scans for the facial animation. <laughs> okay. So doing facial animation today in today's world is notoriously expensive and very difficult. And the amount of time and people hours it's spent on doing this stuff is just really mind-boggling. I mean, it's unbelievable how much time people spend, companies spend on making facial animation look good. And I was not really involved in that so much, but I you know I knew guys who work on it as part of it's part some guys on my team were working on facial animation tools and technology and just insane amount of hours and money was spent on it. And then I play a game like Bloodborne and there's an NPC is talking to me and he is behind closed door telling me a story. Mm. So this game, these guys were able to create. So in this game, Bloodborne, there's no there's no facial animation, facial animation at all anywhere.
2: Yeah.
0: Not not, not even mouth, not even like mouth moving. <laughs> and when I played the game, and I still had exper- experienced emotional emotion and excitement and uh, all the things that designers intended for me to experience as a player, and they paid zero dollars and zero cents for facial animation. To me, that's a really smart development, right? Mm -hmm. So these guys were just, and and there's so many things about that game where they spent money and spent time on certain elements that are very valuable and important for the experience, the game experience. And they really cut their losses on other things that are not very important. And uh, it's fine. So, you know, cloth, for example, Bloodborne Cloth is insane. It's everywhere. And it's breaks all the time. (laughs) <laughs> it looks like when you see it for the first time, it just looks terrible. But after playing for half an hour, you just don't care anymore, and you just buy into it, and you're just moving on. And on No One Got a for example, we spent an insane amount of hours just trying to make Kratos' skirt look good at any possible situation. Yeah. And it was very, very hard to do. We spent an insane amount of hours Was me and programmer, and we just worked for, I mean, six months easily to make his little skirt look good in every personal situation, we could have saved ourselves five months' worth of work if we allowed it to clip through his legs once in a while. Yeah. That is a smart development.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, and, and Bloodborne just have many, many examples of that type of attitude towards development of the game, where the experience trumps small technical, you know, achievements that are really meaningless in a mm-hmm. big picture. That's something that for us as developers, it's really hard to—it's really hard to overcome. Like it's really hard for the open team to uh, to overlook small minor imperfections and see for the big picture. So I think that's really really valuable. Uh, and I think it's really—it's interesting. It's just sometimes it's interesting how these people think, how they how this team decides what is important for them and what is not important for them. These decisions are really hard, and uh, if, you know, for example. I, I always talk about Titanfall and um, respawn right, games. You know, the first game, they shipped, they didn't ship, there was no single player. I'm just curious how those guys internally came up with this decision. Like, how they decided as a team, we're going to cut single player. Like, unheard of mm-hmm. and crazy, and they got lots of flack for it. Uh, somebody on this team somehow was able to articulate that idea in such a way that team agreed. I mean, it, it's that's what I'm looking forward to. Like, I think... Titanfall, like a blood um, respawn, would be game company in LA that I would love to work with, just to learn from them how they make these. To me, what seems like really smart decisions. Um, uh, and then, uh, if I if all my dreams come true, I would love to spend a year or two working with guys from from software.
1: Oh, nice! They're, they're pretty awesome.
0: But from my personal, like from a personal goals, I would say that I, at this point in time, I work. I want to like to work on the small teams making quick games, making games that take six months to ship. That would be the goal. Uh, Realistic goal for my, like going forward, uh, I think if I can work on games that are short cycles, like six months to a year, that would be much better than spending three years or five years on a game.
2: I think I'm starting to understand your easy and successful (laughs) formula that you're trying to achieve here. I mean, it's true, right? We've been through the ringer so many times. And the long-term investment doesn't always pay off. And I think it's one of the issues that that's crippling AAA development right now is just so many resources are being thrown in something so minuscule for detail's sake where it really does shut down studios for these decisions, right? It might make the art people happy. Internally, but is that really a smart business decision? So, the more we think about business than just the artistic expression of a developer, I I think whatever that balance is, is probably healthy for us to like not animate mouths. Who cares? (laughs) Let's just get the emotion out. This is our game, it's a style. So, there you go.
0: I mean, at first time, the first time I came across that and was working for Infinity Ward. When I first joined Infinity Ward, there was still a lot of that mentality of of the old crew of Infinity Ward. You know, those, and when I joined them, it's well after the old crew left, mm-hmm. right? And the, the old crew was so many guys, and they were making fantastic. You know, Modern Warfare One and Two, they were just amazing flagship games, and they were done with the. The rumor is no crunch ever, uh-huh. long vacations ton of money and the best games on the market and the team was like 70 guys and so so when i got there you know there was still a little bit of the philosophy some of the philosophies that the team had was, was still around it was interesting to learn it and you know very important things like don't waste your work don't do art until levels are done like they, they actually they these guys actually actually practiced those ideas you know and that's really incredible. To after God of War, God of War was not that. God of War two was just making the most beautiful thing, and if we have to change it, we'll just change it. These guys were not. They were in two year cycles, and they were making games fast, and they were about how to make them as easy as possible. You know, do what do how little how little do we have to do <laughs> to make to this game right? Yeah. And um, if you're a smart developer, if you're a good developer. That is how you, I think you're supposed to think. Yeah, you know, how little can I do? How many tricks can I? How many tricks can I use, instead of instead of trying to figure out the perfect shader that reflects the reality? How can we hack it? How can we trick it so it seems ninety percent there with ten percent worth of work you know required right. to make right. it? That's 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 a really difference. I mean, even today, you know, Titanfall two just shipped, and those guys still with so many guys. Yeah. The team is still 70, like what, maybe 90 people maybe, uh, but still, I think it's still less than a hundred people while Call of Duty, of course is a much bigger game, but, you know, from what I understand, people love in Titanfall 2 and, uh, there's a, in terms of storytelling and ex- first person story experience, apparently it's really, really good. Yeah. I'm sort of waiting, waiting to play it a little bit later, maybe the next month or two, but, um, same thing. Those guys continue to do that. They continue to practice that idea. And if you, if I look at the trailer of the game, for example, or some, some gameplay, the character art, for example, is not nearly as high fidelity as Call of Duty. Yeah. But from Doesn't everybody, matter. from what I hear, people playing the game, they really get involved with the characters and really experience the you know the drama of the story. Um. So yeah, I, I think a long and hard look should be take. So many people should take on price you pay as a developer to achieve what results you want to achieve. And at the end of the day, we just we deliver an experience and we need to really, understand, really clearly understand whether we need to spend put our effort into things that will not improve experience or will make it you know, will not is it worth for experience uh, to do to put so much effort, so much so many people, human hours into it. Because you know people
1: yeah. Well you You know, like God of War, it had its trilogy. Trilogies come to an end. All good things come to an end. My friend, we have reached that point. It is one hour into the podcast. We've been talking about your life, your musicianship, your jobs, your skills, how to survive in the AAA industry and what projects have been your favorite, what teams you want to work for, and the fidelity crisis between God of War and then also Call of Duty level games at this time we're going to give you a little thank you for participating in this wonderful podcast. Brandon and I are going to be quiet for a little while and let you just say to the audience, promote something that you're working on, maybe thank a mentor or a tutor who helped you early on. As our thank you for being on this podcast, we're going to give you the floor to just basically say it real quick, you know, like, hey, thanks for listening. I'm Yuri. Go check out this game. Go this and that, da, 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 da. You know, stay strong, stay off drugs, go to college, eat your greens, whatever you want to do. The floor is yours.
0: <laughs> All right, thanks. All right, hey, guys. So, I, I, again, my name is Yuri Nederland. and uh, I work for Section Studios right now. And I would say that um, definitely go check out Titanfall 2. I have a lot of friends working on that game, apparently, that are not selling as well as they should. Uh, so I would say play that game. And um, the game industry is really exciting, and it's going to be here for a long time, but it's fluid and moving around. So you have to be, you know prepared for downfalls i think um it's really really good appartu- uh, industry to work for and um if you can make a career in it i think it will be great and rewarding and the person i just want to thank i obviously my whole life is full with people that are great and help me along but i'll say this one person that i want to thank but specifically is brian weaver uh, i had really cool i was close friends with him for a long time i'm, I'm not we don't talk much anymore but the guy helped me multiple times throughout my career and um uh, he uh he just a creative dude so yeah that's pretty much it i would say um follow your dreams and uh work hard and that should be fine as long as you do what you love that's it's, i think it'll be okay
1: well ladies and gentlemen it is that time of the podcast where i go like this and i talk really high and i say good night hey this is brandon fam thank you for listening to us this week see you again next week i'm out thanks guys if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch you can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained